0: This is Letters in Grace for May 2nd, 2022. In the last episode, we asked if all roads lead to God. We talked about the A.W. Tozer quote, the most important thing about you as a person is what comes into your mind when you think about who God is. And this led us to the conclusion that the way we can know God is in the scriptures. How he's revealed himself to us is the key. Because anybody can say anything about God. We want to know the fixed truth about God. If God is perfect, as the scriptures say he is, then all of his attributes are completely full, right? The gas gauge is at 100% and he is perfect in all of his ways. And if he is perfect, he doesn't change. And if he doesn't change, then the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament and the same God that is sovereign over all things today i say that because i remember saying in my 20s well the church just needs to get with the times people live together before they're married these days and the church just needs to catch up with the times well the issues of morality change among people but people always say that the church needs to get with the times and unfortunately a lot of churches are getting with the times but god is perfect and he doesn't change Then he doesn't need to change. And his true church, if it's rooted in him, doesn't need to change. Mankind's depravity seems to ebb and flow. But the holiness of God is perfect and constant. I heard a good analogy the other day, uh, uh, comparing it to a can of white paint. God's holiness is like a can of white paint, just purely white. If it's perfectly pure white paint... How much black pigment can you drop in there and still have it be a perfectly pure white paint, right? If there's all white paint pigment particles in there, you drop just one just itty bitty little drop of black pigment into the white paint. It is no longer pure white paint. In God, there is no sin. And the Bible says no sin can come into his presence. I've always used the analogy of two powerful magnets. And when we try to push those magnets together, we repel each other because we are polar opposites of each other. God is perfect and holy, and our sin repels him. He is repulsed and repelled by our sin. And in our sin, we hate that perfect holiness of God, and and we push away from God, and God is pushing away from us. We are polar opposites, repelling each other. And like two magnets, you just can't push them together. And since we repel each other, when man is speaking about who God is and what he's like, you have to understand the motives of man are unreliable. You have false prophets who try to make a way to God where there is no way by redefining God and what he's like. They have all kinds of motives for power and greed and ego and control, finding ways to work around the sin that dwells within us. Every single religion I can think of is trying to please an angry God. Even in Christianity, we see camps that cling to an angry Old Testament God who is hard to please. And others who promote a New Testament, freely forgiving God who overlooks sin. Well, there's one God and he doesn't change. The God of law in the Old Testament is the same God of grace in the New Testament. My point is that for us to know him, we must come to the scriptures, have our minds properly informed about who he is and what he wants from us, his creation. So just a couple notes on the Bible, the Bible was given to us by God and is not open to to interpretation of man, its intended meaning, that is the meaning of Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1 says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It says that the Scriptures were given to us, literally, God breathed is the literal wording and uh second timothy three sixteen and 17 it, it says all scripture is inspired by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of god may be adequate equipped for every good work also all scripture is inspired by god and it's profitable Revelation chapter 22 says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. There is a fixed truth about God. It's in his word, the Bible. And men have created all kinds of uh, so-called truths or philosophies or their thoughts or ideas about who God is, what he's like. The most important thing about you as a person is what comes into your mind when you think of who God is, and that is informed by the Bible. So let's look at a few verses about God, and let's see what he says about himself. 1 John Chapter 4, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. There you have it. God is love. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. So God is indeed a God of love and his loving kindness draws us to him. I love when he reveals himself to Moses and he he passes by in front, covers him with his hand because Moses couldn't see God and live. It would be like standing in front of a, a nuclear explosion, the holiness of God. So he covers Moses with his hand. And as he passes by, this is what God says about himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, And abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. So we kind of see two sides of God, right? You see this loving, compassionate, who forgives and wants to forgive. But at the same time, he will n- by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Hebrews ten thirty one says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So he he's all of these things and equally and perfectly he's loving and he's merciful, but he's also holy and just how do these things fit together? Maybe this illustration will help you once upon a time, In a kingdom far, far away, there lived a great king, and he was simultaneously the most powerful man in the kingdom as well as the kindest and gentlest man in the whole realm. The kingdom was known for its peace, harmony, and goodwill. Neighbors cherished one another, and years would pass without a single crime being committed. One day, however, the chief servant of the merciful king came into the throne room with ill tidings. "'There is a thief in the realm of your kingdom, sire,' said the servant." the king was astonished find that thief and when you do bring him to me he will be punished with 10 lashes those in the room were astonished as well it had been so long since a crime had been committed they could hardly imagine who would have done such a thing well a week goes by and the servant again made his way into the throne room and he says i have bad news for you sire the thief has not been found and he continues to rob from your people And in anger, the king raised his voice and said, Find this thief, and when you do, he will receive 25 lashes. And the people began to murmur among themselves, Who could withstand such a punishment? Who could possibly be committing such a crime? As word spread through the kingdom and as time went on, the servant once again comes back into the throne room with more bad news. Your majesty, the thief has not been found. We have searched in vain for him, and your people are still being robbed. And now the king is enraged. Find that wretched thief, and when you do, his punishment will be 50 lashes. And now the people were filled with dread. They were not even sure the king himself could withstand such a punishment. And if he could not, then certainly no one else could. Who could be doing such a thing? Well, soon afterward, the servant again approached the king in his throne room, and his face was pale, and his voice was timid and hollow. Your Highness spoke the servant the thief has been found bring him to me this instant cried the king the crowd had poured into the throne room they slowly parted revealing the thief who now stood trembling in the middle of the room and to the utter shock and dismay of all it was the king's aged mother there she stood trembling and crying her small and frail body was shaking with fear and shame she was perhaps the very last soul that anyone would have suspected of such a crime and there stood the king in shock deeply wounded the crowd began to wonder and murmur among themselves what will the merciful king do will he set aside the law and display his love and mercy by forgiving his mother for her crimes or will he display his sovereignty and his justice by giving her exactly what she deserved Will he choose mercy or will he choose justice? And the king raised his hand to quiet the crowd. Bring the whipping post, he said. And the crowd was dumbfounded. Would the king truly have his mother receive such a punishment? Even the king scarcely could survive such a flogging. And this frail woman would not last even a few strokes. Everybody knew it. They had the old woman tied to the post. Her garment ripped, exposing her back to the whipmaster. You could count her ribs, she was so frail. Administer the lashes, said the king. You could hear a pin drop as the whip was raised. But just as the whipmaster was about to unleash his first stroke, the the king cries out, halt. The crowd sighed in utter relief, but the feeling did not last for long. The king stood up, stepped down from his throne. He slowly removed the crown from his head, laying it upon the regal seat, and as he began to walk down the stairs toward his mother, he laid aside his royal robe and his finely woven tunic. Coming to his mother, he wrapped his enormous body around her, completely enveloping her under his frame. And the king spoke. Now, administer the lashes. Thus, in one act, did the king display pure mercy and pure justice that is the loving mercy of God his perfect grace and his perfect mercy poured out without violating his standard of perfect holiness and justice Romans 6 23 says the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God Is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord you see the two sides there the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord if it's a free gift you can't do anything to earn it or deserve it it is freely given Ephesians chapter 2 says by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them jesus is that good and merciful king second corinthians chapter 5 says god made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him see jesus is our merciful king He is our righteousness. He is the perfect life that we don't live. He is our atonement. He is the one that laid a cross and enveloped us and took those lashes for us. He's already died our death. He was buried and raised from the dead. He has power over life, power over death. And as we talked about before, he is our Creator God, who has all power over all creation and has the power to give life to those who will just simply believe in this simple gift that God has given us. It's amazing. This has been Letters in Grace. We will continue soon. Thanks for listening.